What is up, young adults? How are you guys? Good? Excited to be in church on a Thursday night in Denver? All right. Welcome to church. Welcome to everybody watching on Facebook Live. Can we give it up for everybody on Facebook Live right now? We love you guys. Oh, man. You guys, 2018 looks good on you. Turn to your person, one of your neighbors, and say, 2018 looks good on you. If it's appropriate, maybe take this opportunity to, your opportunity to get a number or some digits or ask somebody on a date or... Oh, man. You know, they say scientists, <laughs> scientists say, and I have no idea how they figured this out or why they even wanted to figure this out or who they think they are that they can judge this, but scientists say that one out of every three people is exceptionally good-looking. And so turn to the person on your left, kind of stare into their soul, turn to the person on your right, now kind of look back and forth between those two people and then, and then say this, say this, huh, it must be me. <laughs> Love it. 2018. Looks good on you guys, and welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here. Between the staff and between our amazing volunteers, we really do work really, really, really hard to make this place feel like a space that feels like home as soon as you walk into it. And so I hope that you feel at home here. Even on Facebook right now, I hope you're watching this and you feel like you have a family and a home at Red Rocks Church because you really do. You really do. You belong here. I promise you, you belong here right now. God is not looking for you to like prove yourself to him, to tonight to be accepted or approved by him, okay? He is looking tonight actually to reveal to you his approval and acceptance that he already has of you, okay? You are loved. You are an heir to the kingdom. You are a son. You are a daughter. You have an amazing dad, and you have family in this room, and so welcome to church. Welcome to Red Rocks. The creator of everything wants to meet with you tonight, and my challenge to you is just to simply let him meet with you. And so we're going to go straight in. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel, it's in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about David. You probably can't even hear David without immediately thinking King David. And that's fair because really his kingship was his moment or his ministry or his thunder. David's thunder was his kingship. And in case you're wondering when David actually became king, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 5, 4, I thought this was cool. David was 30 years old. So literally he graduated from YA and then his thunder started. David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. But before his thunder in his 20s, in his young adult years, David was busy making lightning. And in case you don't know what I mean by that, before he was king, David was a warrior who acted like a king. And before he was a warrior, David was a shepherd who acted like a warrior. He made lightning before the thunder. And tonight, I want to show you three things that I think might be helpful 
It might be helpful for anybody in this room who wants to use the moments before the moment to be ready and to get ready for that moment. Anybody in this room who's interested in living the kind of life that makes noise and makes a difference on this planet. Anybody in this room, any young woman or young man in this room who just so happens to believe that God can do immeasurably more in you and through you than you could possibly imagine. I hope I'm talking about some people in this room tonight. If this was 3,000 years ago, I would be talking about David. Here's kind of David's story in case you don't know it. The story goes like this. God was on the lookout for a young man that he could trust to be king. And so he anointed a shepherd boy, a runt in his family, a shepherd boy by the name of David because of the way David was stewarding his moments before the moment. David got God's attention. And we fast forward a few years. Israel is now at war with the Philistines, and David's older brothers are kind of the cool guys in the family. They're all warriors in the army, and David now has gotten a promotion. He has two jobs. He's still a shepherd, and he's also the water boy for the army. Literally, David would look after his dad's sheep, and then he would bring water and snacks to his older brothers on the battlefield, all right? Literally, juice boxes and slices of oranges to his brothers on the battlefield, okay? But he was faithful in it. And one day, David showed up on the battlefield, and he noticed this Philistine warrior by the name of Goliath down in the valley, and Goliath was taunting the Israelites and making fun of his God, and it just, it did something in David. It did, and remember at this time, at this time in David's life, he is not a warrior. He's not a king. At this point, David is a shepherd slash water boy. This is the moment before, this is one moment before David's thunder even began. And here's what he does. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 15. Here we go. David was the youngest son, and his three older brothers went to war with Saul. And David went back and forth from attending to Saul to tending his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Each morning and every evening for 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made his speech. Skip ahead to... uh, 32. Master, David's talking to King Saul. Master, David said, don't give up hope. I'm ready right now to go fight this Philistine. Saul answered David, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're too young and too inexperienced. Goliath has way more facial hair than you, David. You're not going to stand a chance out there, David. You're too inexperienced, and he's been fighting. He's been in the fighting business since before you were even born. And David said, well, I'm I'm a shepherd. Yes, I get that. I've been tending sheep for my father, so I'm a shepherd. I get that, but I'm not your typical shepherd. I'm a shepherd who knows that he was built to one day be a warrior, and I'm ready to act like that right now. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from my flock, I'd go after it. I'd knock it down, and I would rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat and wring its neck and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same thing to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God. There's trash talking all over the Bible if you look for it. This God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and from the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine as well. And Saul said, okay, go, and God help you. 
because we're not gonna. And so David goes, and every human being who has ever taken a breath since that moment knows what happens next. And I don't even want to talk about what happens next. I kind of just want to press pause right here and, remin- and talk about the fact that David is reminiscing about stuff that happened in the pastures as a shepherd with Saul before he, like, let's be clear, killing lions and killing bears, that's not something that shepherds do. Shepherds don't do that, right? Shepherds who only ever aspire to be shepherds don't go chasing down lions and bears just to save one sheep. They don't do that. Future warriors do that. Future kings do that. Men and women who understand that God can do something more in me and through me do something like that. And I hope you know that that applies to you right now. I don't know if you can feel like you relate to this yet, or maybe I know we're in a, we're in a whole series talking about thunder and storms, and I don't know if you can relate to this. I actually, I really love I love storms and thunder and lightning and just like when you, when you see like dark storm clouds like brewing over the Rocky Mountains and you know like, oh man, something awe-inspiring and like horrifyingly majestic that could kill me if it wanted to that I can't stop is about to like roll in here. You know what I mean? Like it inspires awe and reverence in you and I feel the same way about God and his kingdom. I've, on, I've felt that since the moment I got saved nine years ago from the moment moment I started following Jesus, I felt something similar about God. Like, man, there's something big brewing on the horizon. There's something big and awe-inspiring, and I have no idea what it is. I don't know the part or the role that I'm going to play, but I don't care. Whatever it is, like, I'm in. I'm sold. I'm ready. I want to be ready. I don't want to miss this. I'm in, you know? And maybe, like, maybe you feel that too. Maybe you don't have words or language for it, and I'm here to tell you that that's okay. Like, with whatever, like, your calling is in life, I promise you, God has a calling for you. I promise you, he has plans for your future, and they are good. And even if you don't know what those are yet, That doesn't change the fact that there's moments that you can steward now before those moments. In fact, most Christians, if you read the Bible, kind of the trend is people not really knowing what's coming over the horizon in their lives, yet they steward the moments in the here and now as best as they possibly can. That's just typically how God seems to work. But there's something, man, there's something big brewing and and we're maybe in the waiting. I think everybody in this room can relate to that, whether right now or at some other point in your life, you might be in a season of waiting, waiting for that something big in your life, right? Like waiting for this movement of God, like waiting for your calling, waiting for that season, whatever it is. And waiting seasons are just kind of a part of the journey of faith. But I'm here to tell you one thing that might change everything about the waiting season that you're in. And so if you hear nothing else, hear this right here. There are two types of waiting that you can do in waiting seasons. There's passive waiting and there's active waiting. Passive waiting does nothing. Active waiting does everything. Active waiting gets God's attention, right? Passive waiting is basically just an excuse to be lazy, 
have an excuse for your apathy and procrastination and chalk it up to the fact that, well, the big man upstairs, it's in his timing, man. He's going to use me when he's going to use me, and I'm just here, and it's just, it's an excuse. It's passive waiting, like my season's not here, so there's nothing I can do in the meantime, but active waiters understand that that's not true, and active waiters turn the head of God, gets his focus and attention in their direction by the ways that they steward their moments before the moment. Active waiting is special. Active waiting is something, is doing something with the moments before your moment that prepares you for the moment. It's the difference between a shepherd that only aspires to ever be a shepherd and a shepherd who knows that God can do more. I just know that he can, and I'm going to show him right now that I believe that, even when I haven't seen any evidence from my life yet. And so I want to give you three ways tonight that you can own your 20s the way David did. So you don't miss what God wants to do in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And for some of you, maybe even in your hundreds, not me. It's not going to be me. I eat way too much Lucky Charms for that to happen. (laughs) How do you actively wait before the thunder? How do you let God do something amazing in you now so he can do something amazing through you then, right? So if you're taking notes, before we go any further, before we get into the points, we'll call this message the not-so-calm before the storm. The not-so-calm before the storm. It's usually the calm before the storm, and that's true for passive waiters, waiting on the something big, That's coming, that's rolling in in the horizon of their future. But for active waiters, which is everybody in this room, because it was David also, it's the not so calm before the storm. So God, we love you so much. I pray that you'd meet with us tonight and pray that you'd teach us something new about who you are. And I pray, God, that you would inspire us to make the most of every single day in this decade, like we believe every moment of it actually matters. Inspire us tonight. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we'll get to the three points in a second, but first I have a story. Um, Lightning always comes before the thunder. Technically, they happen at the same time, but light travels faster than, than sound does. It's technical. I don't want to bore you with all the big equations that I know because this is about God and not about me, but... Technically, they happen at the same time, but lightning, because of all those reasons, lightning, you always experience the lightning before you experience the thunder. This is always true. There is, however, one exception to this rule. There is one time when you experience both the lightning and the thunder at the exact same time, and this exception happened in my life when I was eight. This brings me to second grade, Carmel, Indiana. Anybody from Indiana in this room? Anybody? Okay. (laughs) Two people. It's awesome. This was the year the movie Twister came out. Anybody seen Twister? Do you remember that? That got some cheers. I love it. That Twister, I'm, I was worried that I'm like dating myself by saying the, the year that Twister came out because I'm, I'm turning 30 this year, guys, in 2018. Like, gosh, man, dang it, 30 years old. But I'm like, God's infinity years old, so I'm like a baby compared to infinity. 30's nothing. Do you remember Dorothy in Twister? Not Dorothy, Wizard of Oz Dorothy, but Dorothy the machine. 
that was full of all the sensors and Helen Hunt like put it in front of the tornado and then it sucked up all the sensors and they flew around and the sensors gathered a bunch of data. That's a fancy word for information. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Gathered a bunch of information and sent it back to the scientists and meteorologists so they could better understand tornadoes and have better tornado warnings and stuff like that. And so I'm watching this and I'm feeling just very, very like inspired and um, I uh, and I swear once again I uh, I promise you this is true I, I like I was seven so give me a break okay but I made a Dorothy out of um, I'm like I want to help I, I can I can get info about tornadoes and so I'm like I made a Dorothy out of an old metal coffee can that I filled with marbles because marbles kind of looked like sensors and so I was like yeah that'll it should work then if it looks kind of like sensors and it's just a do-it-yourself Dorothy tornado reading machine I'll put instructions up on Pinterest later look for it not a big deal this is I, I swear to you this happened one evening in Carmel Indiana there was a tornado warning on the TV in Carmel okay and so what I did is I grabbed my DIY Dorothy and I put it in my Jansport backpack and I went into the garage to get on my bike because I was going to go get some data for the scientists and some information about the tornadoes with the sensors and everything, right? Because that's what you do when you're eight or you're seven and you're, and, and so uh-huh. But that's where the story ends, too, because I was in the garage, and this isn't even the story I was planning on telling you tonight. Oh, this is just a complete tangent. I was in the garage, and my dad caught me before I rode out of the garage and sat me down and explained to me pretty sternly what happens to real people in the real world who aren't in movies who decide to get on their bikes and chase tornadoes. This is what, and I'm like, got it, Dad. It's a good call. Let's go to the basement instead of the street, you know, the basement. It's a good call. <laughs> That's not the story. There's another story that, like, a month later, another storm. We had storms all the time in Indiana. Another storm. Here's the scene, okay? It's, it's a morning before school, and my mom's already at work. There's a storm outside. My dad is upstairs getting ready for work, and my brother Ryan and I are downstairs eating Lucky Charms or Fruit Loops. I, I can't remember which one, and I don't want to lie to you and tell you it was that when it was really that. It was Lucky Charms or Fruit Loops, and we were watching Woody the Woodpecker. Who remembers Woody the Woodpecker? Okay, I was... Who knows Woody, Woody the Woodpecker's signature laugh? All right, I was hoping... I was hoping you would so I didn't have to do it, but I'm still going to do it. I'm, I'm doing this laugh for you because it's actually an important detail in this story, okay? So pay attention. Woody the Woodpecker had a signature laugh, and it went like this. Did you get that? That was it. One more time. If you're taking notes, write this down. That was Woody the Woodpecker's laugh, okay? So... This, it's important. It's important to the story. So we're downstairs. We're eating Lucky Charms, watching Woody the Woodpecker. There's a storm outside. And all of a sudden, like, I see a flash of lightning. And then 10 seconds later, you hear the boom of the thunder, right? And then you see another flash of lightning. And then seven seconds later, the thunder rolls, you know? And then another flash of lightning, and then it's only five seconds that goes by until you hear more thunder. And then four seconds goes by, and then 
three and then just two. And then how many, how many of you understand that this means the storm is getting closer to where you are, okay? And so I swear to you, I, you cannot make a story that, like J.K. Rowling could not make this story up. We're watching Woody the Woodpecker. I'm taking my last bite of Lucky Charms and Woody the Woodpecker does his laugh. And here, I swear to you guys, I, I promise you this happened. <laughs> On Woody the Woodpecker's laugh, our house gets struck by lightning and it blows like a five foot by five foot hole in the roof, okay? It caught on fire only for a few minutes because it was pouring rain outside and the rain put the fire out, but I swear like it felt like the lightning picked the house up five feet and then dropped it. One of the most horrifying moments of my entire life. I accepted Jesus at recess later that afternoon. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really do that. Took a few more years for this guy to accept Jesus into his heart. (laughs) That's the one exception to lightning coming before the thunder. At every other time, you will experience the lightning before you experience the thunder. And so here we go. Three ways to actively wait, not passively wait, to actively wait in the here and now. Three ways to make lightning before the thunder. Three ways to steward the moments before the moment. Number one, lead yourself before you lead anybody else. Lead yourself before you lead anyone else. I'll say it this way. If you want people to follow, like this is the only leadership point of the three, okay? If you want people to follow you then, you need to lead a life that is followable now. Followable lives get God's attention. And so you need to ask yourself tonight, is my life right now followable? You probably mean for it to be, but is it actually, right? Like intentions are great, but they're nothing without action behind them. It's what you do as a shepherd that determines the kind of warrior and the kind of king that you're going to be then, right? And Jesus knew what he was saying when he said that those who are faithful with a little will be entrusted with more. And so as a Christian, do you walk the walk or do you simply just talk the talk? And trust me, this has been convicting for me all week because I heard a pastor say once that we are overtaught and under under applied because this is the information age and we have sermons and podcasts like available left and right. We have a plethora of knowledge about Jesus, but that knowledge and those sermons and those books do you no good at all if they don't help you know Jesus. Knowing things about Jesus is a horrible trade for knowing Jesus. And this has been personally convicting for me because I'm a guy, I'm a learner. I love to learn. I listen to like a podcast a day and I'm always like trying to buy the new Christian book and I even read most of it, you know? And um, like, I love, I love information. I love to learn. And I think it was like the last session of the Red Conference last year, Sean's up here preaching and I'm like, man, these past three days have been so rich in information. Like I've learned, this is so good. And it like that stuff is good. Those things are amazing. Information about God is, amazing. But I remember sitting just right over here and I really, I clearly felt God say to me, hey, you know you're accountable now for everything that you've heard, right? Every session in this conference, every sermon, every podcast, every book, you are now accountable for the things that you know. 
to do something with the information that you receive. And man, this, this is for somebody in this room, not everybody, but somebody in this room. Maybe you've been a Christian for a few years now and you kind of know your stuff and, and know the answers and you want more depth and more revelation. And that's good. That's a good desire. That's awesome. But are you doing something now with the stuff that you already know? Are you doing something now to actually experience God rather than just learn things about God? Leading yourself means daily disciplines, daily disciplines, disciplining yourself to know God through the avenues that he's given us to do so, right? What does your relationship with God look like behind closed doors when you're not like, do you really pray? Do you really spend time in scripture? Are you really doing something to satisfy this hunger that you have for, for more? Because sometimes we think, no, I just need like, the, uh, like, teach me something new. I want the new revelation because that feels good. But what about the stuff that you, what about the revelations you already have? Are you utilizing those to know and experience God and satisfy this hunger that you have deep in your spirit to be a, deep in your spirit to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, right? Knowing things about Jesus is a horrible replacement for knowing Jesus. Are you doing things right now with the revelations that you have? Like, you're hungry. And I get, like, I'm hungry right now, by the way. This is awkward, but <laughs> does anybody have, you have a protein bar? Zach, can I, can I, I'm sorry, this is awkward mid-sermon, and I'm, but I'm just really hungry. Thanks, man. Are you doing something right now with the revelation that you already have been? I'm, I'm just still hungry, dude. That didn't do it. Do you have another one? Hey, bro, you're the man. Thank you. This is going to do it. I'm positive. You've been given revelations. You know things about God. You have avenues to know God more. This hunger that, I'm sorry, I need one more. This might do it, man. I just need one more protein bar. This is going to solve it. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> you don't need another protein bar. You need to eat one of the protein bars that you already have, right? You don't need a new revelation from heaven all the time. You don't need a new sermon. Those are good. You don't need one all the time. You don't need the latest Christian book all the time. You need to practice the stuff and the revelations that you already know. Since you're clapping, is anybody actually hungry? Anybody? There we go. There you go. You don't need a new protein bar. You need to eat the protein bar that you already have. You're hungry, and you're hungry for purpose and depth in this life, and that hunger is actually God-given, but that hunger is only satisfied through experiencing God, not learning things about God, right? But those, that learning stuff about God should lead. Those are, those are aids, but those aren't the solution. They're, not, they're avenues, but you have to take the avenues. You get avenues towards God, but those avenues are useless if you don't use them. They were designed to lead you into something bigger than yourself. Like, you know your life would be better and richer and more full if you prayed for 15 minutes a day this week. You know it would be. You know that 2018 would be a completely different year if you decided to read the whole Bible from start to finish in 2018. 
And I know that some of you are crazy enough to actually do that, and you, you didn't even think about it until I just said it. And now you're going to do it, and you're going to see exactly what it does for your life. You know 2018 would be different if you did that. Lead yourself to experiencing him because you can't lead people to a place that you haven't been, right? Is your life followable? Like if I'm going to climb Everest, I want to go with a guide who's been there, not a guide who's read a book about going there, right? I want to be ready for that something big that's rolling in over the horizon of my future. Like David's job description said, shepherd, but he led himself like a future king. And that started in the pastures, not the palace. That's a quote right there. David led himself like a king before he even stepped foot in a palace, right? Is your life followable now? Are you practicing what you know already? Because you can actively wait. You can actively wait in the moments before your moment by leading yourself to experience God so you can lead others to a place that you've actually been. Lead yourself before you lead anyone else. That's your 20s. That's this decade. That's right now. And it's never too late to start that, to steward the moments before that moment well. You can start that tonight. That's, that's one. Number two, here we go. This is a bit different. Outsmart the shame. Outsmart shame. I think you're going to like this. I love this. This has been my week. There's nothing that will exhaust you more in your spirit, in your soul, before you even get to the thunder season of your life. There is nothing that will deplete your energy and exhaust your soul more than shame will. What does it look like to outsmart shame? So yesterday I had a two-hour counseling session with Gary Brugman, Chad's dad. And um, I want to just proudly proclaim from this platform right now that I go to counseling all the time. In fact, he's one of two counselors that I have. I need it. I love it. Counseling is is unreal. It's an amazing thing. There should be no stigma attached to that. We're all in the same boat. We all need counseling, man. We do. So I hope that frees somebody in here. I, I go to it all the time. I love it. And it's funny, like, when you talk to somebody who's been following Jesus for a while, like, like Gary has, somebody who's just been there and done that and had wins and had losses and has failures and has stories of success, and he just, he knows Jesus because he's experienced Jesus and the grace of Jesus, you know? And be, like, I spent, I'm not kidding you, probably 90 minutes just confessing things to Gary, sin, secret, Sin, secrets, regrets about my past, worries about the future, anxiety, all the things that make me constantly feel like I'm failing as a pastor or as a husband or as a a friend or a son or a brother. And I'm just, I'm just like, right? Like all, all my stuff. And I was scared to do it. Just like, what is what is this guy thinking of the stuff that I have to say? And, and I finished like after like 90 minutes of just word vomiting confessions and secrets to Gary. And I'm not kidding you. Here's what Gary, he, he just started laughing when it was all over. He started laughing. And then I started to laugh too. And, and I realized in that moment, I'm like, that's probably actually what my heavenly father is doing right now also. He's probably laughing 
at how little of a deal sin is to him because of what his son did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He's probably laughing. I don't know about you, but way too often, I think the countenance of my heavenly father is him looking down on me after a bad week or a bad day with a facial expression that looks something like this. Seriously? You're a pastor, bro. I say, like, what else do I have to do? You can't even handle this? Like, what? But to have that, that's such a lie. And shame makes you believe that that's what God's thinking about you. Shame makes you believe that that's what everybody in your life is thinking about you. But Gary laughed. And then I laughed. And in that moment, I did not feel shame for the first time probably in six months. And sin, sin in my life just felt so powerless. And, and I, know, I know a few men and women like Gary who are just... They've been following Jesus for a while and they're a bit farther down this faith journey than I am and they're, they're so close to God because of it and they just seem so free. Like if you've ever met Gary, he is just so incredibly free. And here's what I think. Here's what I, I know. They didn't just get better at not sinning. That's not what Gary did. They get smarter than shame. You don't get better at not sinning, you get smarter than shame. And I think they now have years of experience to see just how stupid and mirage-like and much of a waste of time stuff like shame and guilt is. Like they're, they're finally, they have the consciousness and the view that, that Jesus sees above shame to see how stupid it is. When you're below it, like I've been for so long, it runs your life completely. Shame tells you what to do and pushes you around. We think that guilt is like, and we think sometimes it's a good thing. Like if you're anything like me, you think that guilt and shame is like the motivating factor that you need to stop being a knucklehead and stop sinning. Like if I can just, if you can just feel enough shame about looking at pornography, then maybe you'll stop looking at pornography. If you could just feel enough shame and condemnation about your eating disorder, then maybe you'll do something about it and knock it off, right? If you could feel enough guilt and shame about anxiety or depression, then maybe you'll finally fix it. If you can feel enough shame over this, then maybe, just maybe, you'll stop doing this. But let me, let me say maybe the boldest thing to you that I've ever said from this platform. In your life right now, I think shame is way more of a problem than even what sin is in your life right now. Because sin is not a problem for Jesus. He looks at it and goes, yeah, I handled it. Sin is not a problem for Jesus. It's shame that keeps you from running back to Jesus every time that you sin, right? It's shame that causes pain, that makes you, that makes you want to self-medicate that pain in any way that you possibly can, even if it's temporarily, which, which is what sin is, a temporary relief from the pain that shame is making you feel in your reality. And yeah, I know like shame is is tempting for a reason because shame can be fun. And yeah, I get all that. The main reason that you sin and that you struggle with it is because you're not cozy in your own reality because you're frustrated because there's pain because shame is causing that pain. Shame is leading you to sin. It's a cycle. Therefore, listen to this. If you hear one thing, freedom from shame is freedom from sin. 
Freedom from shame is freedom from sin, not the other way around. I always thought it was the other way around. Like we think, okay, the key to being free from shame is just to stop sinning altogether because it's sin that makes me feel shame, right? It's sin that makes me feel shame. Like if I can just knock off all the stuff that I'm doing that causes me to feel shame, then just maybe I won't feel shame anymore. And if I can like fix all this in my life and clean this part of my life up and get rid of that junk that causes all this shame, then I won't have any shame to deal with. And, and while that's logically true, the problem is that you can't do the first part of that equation. You can't clean yourself up and get rid of that junk that causes all that shame all on your own, which is why you should reverse that equation, and I'll quote one of my favorite authors, Seth Taylor, freedom from shame is freedom from sin. Freedom from shame is freedom from sin, and freedom from shame is found in bringing sin to the light, right? Like Chad talked about last week, and I'll quote him, you can have secrets or you can have freedom, but you can't have both. If you missed that message this past week, and you need to go to the Red Rocks website and get caught up, and he's doing part two to that message this weekend at church. If you're smart, you will be here for that. Why? Because shame is the thing that's causing you the pain that you want so badly to escape via sin with. Freedom from that. Like if you, this is what Gary told me. He said, man, if you could figure that out in your 20s, if you could figure that out now, oh man, the freedom that you'd have, the thunder that God could do through your life if shame is not something that you're standing beneath. If shame is not calling the shots, so you, like, and do the hard work, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in your 20s to outsmart shame, to get above it so you can see from God's view just how stupid it is, right? We feel shame because shame is logical. Shame makes sense. I feel like I should punish myself, right? Like I mess up and, and I'm a pastor and I'll, I'll mess up and I feel like God will be looking down like, yeah, um, take care of that and maybe go uh, into a week of self-deprecation and self-punishment and then come back. And it's like, that makes sense, which is, what, which is what makes the illogical grace of Jesus Christ such unbelievably good news. But it is, it's like holding on to a slippery bar of soap. I feel like that's what grace is because it makes so little sense compared to how we think logic in this world. And that's why you need to preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again so that one day, maybe not tonight, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, but one day it will have made the trip from here to here and you will see with God's vision, God's illogical yet logical vision, how stupid shame is, man. Be kind to yourself feel like for me, sometimes the enemy doesn't even need to say, like, he's like, I, I say meaner things to myself than Satan says to me, you know? And that's not God's heart. God's not doing that to you. Be kind to yourself. You have hidden struggles and hidden sins, regrets from your past. Jesus is not threatened by those things. And they lose their power when you bring them into the open, and sometimes that's scary until you do it. And like the experience I had yesterday, you start laughing at how stupid shame is. Gary can truly see, oh, oh, it's just a waste of time. Gary, do you still mess up and do things you wish you didn't do? Yeah, but I don't feel shame about it. Really? Don't you feel bad about not feeling shame? No. It's a waste of time. Outsmart shame. 
Do the hard work before the thunder so your life can bring thunder. Lead yourself to Jesus and be smarter than the shame. And number three, and Ben, you guys can come back out. And this will make more sense as we talk about it. Make 10,000 lightning strikes. 10,000 lightning strikes. So they say, I don't know who says this, they say this, that 10,000 hours of practice makes you excellent at something, right? So Michael Jordan was born with a lot of natural talent, but he also had at least 10,000 hours of practice with basketball to be excellent at what he did, to be the greatest in the world, right? Elon Musk is making some thunder in the world right now. And yeah, sure, he was born as a baby genius when he was born, but he's also pursued hours and hours of excellence his entire life. And I just think as Christians, we should be known for being excellent in the moments before the moment. We should be known for living loud lives that get the attention of the world. Excellence is loud, just like thunder. And people should know, guys, people should know like, oh, that they're Christians because we're excellent at whatever we do, wherever it is that God has us right now, right? We should be making excellent lattes at Starbucks with a smile, right? We should make excellent buildings as engineers. We should have excellent bedside manner as nurses and doctors. Like Christian surgeons should be the best surgeons in the world, right? Christian police officers should be the best police officers in the world, right? We should be excellent moms. We should be excellent dads. We should, be, we should sell excellent products at a fair rate, right? I heard a, a pastor in LA named Erwin McManus. He said he's tired of the word, from the world's perspective, he's tired that, of the word Christian being synonymous with the word average. Like you hear like the world say like, oh, that's Christian music. Oh, that's a Christian company. Oh, it's a Christian, it's a Christian movie. It's good, but... Well, actually, nobody, not a lot of people actually say that. Not yet. I believe that. That's a conviction of mine. Not yet. But he's tired. I'm tired of the word Christian being synonymous with the word average. I'm tired of that. That's what our world thinks right now. But if God, if God is the source of all that is good, if God is the source of all creativity and, and his greatness cannot be exaggerated, then the things that we create, the things that we do, the services that we provide, if it's for God, then it should be excellent. And we become excellent by stewarding well the moments before the moment. 10,000 lightning strikes before the thunder even comes. I want to show, and David knew a little bit about 10,000 lightning strikes. I want to show you one more thing from his life, and we'll close with this. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 17. Saul told his servants, because Saul, right now, you can keep that up, Saul is experiencing a lot of torment. He's got like a spirit tormenting him. He feels like he's losing his mind, and he's going crazy. So he says, officials, go find uh, go find uh, an excellent musician and bring him here to play me music so I feel better right now. Saul told his servants, go ahead, find me someone who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men spoke up. I know someone. I've seen him myself, the son of Jesse of Bethlehem, an excellent musician. He's also courageous of age, well-spoken and good-looking, but he's an excellent musician. That's what I saw in there. And God is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse requesting, send your son David to me, the one who tends the sheep, the shepherd boy who became excellent at what he did. 
Notice something, David's big promotions in his life did not come because he prayed. They, they came because he prayed, because he played, excuse me. They did, not become, they, did, they did not come because he loved God or even asked God for them. They did not come because Saul was like, oh, that kid's got a good heart. Well, at least he's got a good heart. I like that. It came because he was excellent at his craft. He was excellent at the thing that he did because he put the work in, in the shepherds with hours of practice in the moments before his moment. Loud thunder comes when 10,000 lightning bolts strike. I heard a pastor, Stephen Furtick, years ago, he said this, and I, I just love how straightforward this is. He said, if it's for God, if whatever you're doing is for God, then it ought not suck. <laughs> I love that. And I would even take it a step further. It ought not be average either. If it's for God, it ought be excellent. Whatever it is, with whatever you've been given to steward, with whatever he's handed you in your life, create greatness from it because we have a great God. We need great churches. We need great doctors. We need great teachers. We need great moms. We need great dads. We need great police officers and first responders and, and news reporters because the world responds to greatness. That's the kind of world that we live in. Get the world's attention by our excellence. That's what David did, right? And it's funny, like so often I feel like the greatest critics of Christians who are doing great things in this world are other Christians. And I used to be here, so I can say it. I used to be here. It's usually the passive waiters, those who are passively waiting on God. Because if, you, if you're not creating, you're critiquing. That's just how it goes, right? Usually the passive waiters, not the active waiters, who take it upon themselves to judge the hearts and the motives of those who are trying to do great things for God in this world. And, and God help me, that used to be me. We all have a spirit of criticism inside of us. And I used to kind of look at like big churches and laugh with like the big bright lights and the haze and the fog machines and the big screens and good videos and good music. And I'd be like, I would... In my, in my pride and in my insecurity, I would go, oh, I'm sorry, I thought this was about God. Is this, is this about the show? This isn't about God, right? Like, as if there's something more holy about mediocrity than there is about excellence. And now I've been here for four years and here's, here's what I've noticed. I've watched a worship team rehearse tirelessly week after week after week after week and write and record and play what I think is some of the most excellent music music, not Christian music, but music music on this planet, right? I've seen that week after week. I've watched my friends on this staff hang out in this building until 3.30 in the morning before young adults hanging lights and mirrors from the rafters so they can make this platform beautiful, right? I get to watch Charlotte for hours upon hours upon hours film and edit and produce beautiful videos and graphics that we get to enjoy. I get to watch Jesse put 30 plus hours of prayer and prep into every single sermon she preaches so that it's excellent, right? I get to watch amazing volunteers with excellent hospitality invite people into this church so they feel at home when they've never felt at home in a church ever before in their lives. And I get to work with an amazing staff who works so hard to put on excellent events and conferences and retreats that I think are pretty freaking awesome. And I can say that because I don't really have to do much because they're so great and they do all of it, right? And why, why do they do all of that? 
because an excellent God deserves excellence from us. An excellent God deserves excellence from us. The best way to describe and depict an excellent God to a world who doesn't know what he looks like and has never met him is by making and producing ex excellent ways to represent him. It's just, and not just at church, but in everything that we do, we do it loud and we do it with thunder to honor the name that's above all names, to brag on him. Yeah, Charlotte made that video, but that video brags on a God who deserves us to brag on him. This team is about to play some songs to lead us into worship, but those songs, and they might be amazing, but they're here to brag on a great God. An excellent God deserves excellence and the world responds to excellence. We should be leading the way in excellence for the rest of the world, setting the bar and having them trying to keep up with us, right? Not the other way around. I believe that that's the future of the church very, very soon. I've seen the talent that's in the church. I've seen the talent that's in my generation. I've seen the, the desire for excellence and I know the bar that you guys have for excellence and I think man if we could steward the moments before our moment if we can make 10,000 lightning strikes in our 20s so that we could see thunder in our 30s 40s 50s and 60s and so on then something crazy is going to happen in this world through this generation the world's going to be trying to keep up with the church and the stuff that we make the stuff that we produce and not just in the church, but everything that we as Christians do. Church is not a building after all. It's a group of people. All doing amazing things where God has us. How are you stewarding the moments before your moment? Making lightning before the thunder. Actively waiting, not passively waiting, actively waiting, right? Lead yourself before you lead anyone else. Outsmart shame. The sooner you can do that, oh man, the freedom and the power that's gonna come from your life as soon as you outsmart guilt and 10,000 lightning strikes. Work hard, we work hard to honor a perfect God so we can brag on him and show him off to the world so that we have the power to make him look beautiful to them. We have the power and the potential to make him look beautiful to them by being good stewards in the here and now and actively waiting on God in the moments before the thunder. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this group of people. I know how crazy it is, God, that this many young adults on the biggest clubbing night in Denver show up in this building to lift their hands to you and worship you and give honor where honor is due, God. We're gonna sing loud like we believe it to a God who is worthy of every drop of it. God, we love you and I pray, God, that you would help us to take whatever seeds have been sown with this message home and do something with it, God. We are accountable to what we have heard. And we thank you for calling us royalty and sons and daughters. We love you and we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Red Rocks Young Adults, let's stand up and let's worship.